Today on Not Sam Wrestling, it's a full-on celebration of the fact that the WWE is going back on the road full-time. Who was the MVP of the Thunderdome era? It's a pretty easy question to answer. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome to episode 344 of Not Sam Wrestling. I am Sam Roberts, and I am glad that you're here. So much to talk about as we start another week in this grand world of pro wrestling. I guess it's Ultimate Warrior Week to an extent. The A&E biography of The Ultimate Warrior, which I was lucky enough to be asked to be a part of, uh, aired last night. I have not gotten to see it yet at the time of this recording, but I'm looking forward to it, and I've heard good things. I know a couple people that got to see it, and they said good things. So I'm hopeful, and then, of course, the, uh, I guess, Becoming the Warrior, the Dark Side of the Ring documentary is on Thursday, which I'm assuming will focus more on the beginning of the guy's career, you know, and, and how he goes from being Jim to the Dingo Warrior to the Ultimate Warrior and all that stuff. So I'm looking forward to it. One of the most interesting entities in the world of wrestling, for sure, the Ultimate Warrior. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing both of those productions, specifically the A&E biography of the Ultimate Warrior, because I'm in it. And I mean, I don't know what else you could ask from a documentary other than to try to get a little commentary from Sam Roberts, see what he thinks. So I'm happy to share that with you. And I'm happy to share that with you today. Now, today, it's a big show. Um, of course, we talked uh, on Thursday about a lot of what's going on on Thursday, Not Sam Thursday, the Patreon exclusive second podcast of the week. It's the Thursday Night Thunder to today's Monday Nitro in the Not Sam Wrestling universe. It's available exclusively over there on patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. Less than a dollar a week to sign up, by the way. Uh, and you will get access to the all the shows early and ad-free as well as the Thursday show. Um, but before we get in to what I think is going to be a pretty fun, pretty special show, we've got multiple guests on this week's show, which I generally try to avoid but I wanted to open up the conversation as far as fans coming back and, and my thoughts around that. But before we get there, uh, I want to address a tweet that was sent out by WWE on Fox. Well, first of all, two tweets went out on Sunday. One from WWE on Fox, one from WWE. The one from WWE said, who in the WWE has the best hairstyle? Number one, really odd tweet. Very strange. Number two, I mean, come on. Is that a question anymore? I guess you got to update your photos, but b clearly bald Sam, right? Like, obviously it's bald Sam. I don't, I don't think that there's any question. I saw a couple of those votes come in, but I, I, I was weirded out that the question was even asked. I think it's bald Sam by a mile. Maybe we'll have to wait until the next uh, kickoff show that you see me on before technically bald Sam is even in contention since I haven't, I guess, yeah, I was on The Ultimate Show, which technically aired after I became Bald Sam, but it was taped when I was still Sam with hair. So that doesn't count. So we'll have to wait. We'll have to wait for the WWE 
debut of Bald Sam. Uh, but the tweet that I was referring to went out from WWE on Fox. They are always good for a an engagement tweet, always good for a tweet that will spark up a conversation. And that tweet was, who is the MVP of the Thunderdome era? Now, to me, the really the only breakdown to have here is a breakdown of the question itself. Because if we're just going to take the question on face value, very literally, the Thunderdome era. To me, the Thunderdome era begins SummerSlam weekend 2020. Last August, I want to say the Thunderdome debuted on SmackDown, but I could be wrong. Whatever it was, it was either the SmackDown before SummerSlam or SummerSlam proper. I want to say it was SmackDown. That, to me, would be the beginning of the Thunderdome era, and the Thunderdome era will officially be over uh, on July 16th which we'll talk about momentarily. That's the Thunderdome era. It's not, because and, and it's important. And that's where the analysis comes in. That's where the breakdown comes in. It's the pandemic era is, the pandemic era starts, you could technically, and it's really odd, and I don't think we think about it, but the first Performance Center show was actually the Wednesday before the pandemic pandemic era to me officially began so to me the pandemic era begins again with smackdown and the episode that emanated from the performance center absolutely no audience michael cole was basically the host of the whole thing triple h was on commentary uh and and stuff was being pieced together as people went it was really figuring out how do we do this show without an audience that to me is the beginning of the pandemic era Technically, the Wednesday before that, NXT did Fan Appreciation Night. Ironically, and that was already booked, I believe. I don't think that had anything to do with the pandemic. But ironically, NXT was not at full sale, which they had been previously. They were not at full sale that Wednesday. And they were running, they, they invited fans for the first time into the Performance Center. It was a big deal. And they did NXT from the Performance Center. Nobody realized on that Wednesday, though, that for the foreseeable, all shows would emanate from the Performance Center. And even going into WrestleMania, I mean, when that first SmackDown of the pandemic era started, people still thought that WrestleMania was going to happen in the stadium. At first, people thought that they would just do it in the stadium and that would be the last show before they shut down. Then it was like, I wonder if they'll just do it in an empty stadium so they can still have the stadium. And then speculation went on and on until they finally did announce, like all the other shows we've been doing, it's going to happen uh, here in the Performance Center. But that was also a time when, don't forget, they had no idea how long they would be there for. And it was a regular thing. Like leading up to WrestleMania, they would pretty regularly run taped matches. Like, I think it might have been the first Raw out of the Performance Center. Is it the first or the second Raw out of the Performance Center? They ran the entire 2020 Royal Rumble match on Raw. With commercials, it took up like an hour and a half. It took up over half the show. So, which is interesting. The only other time they've done that, I believe, 
was when it was after the Royal Rumble that uh, Roman Reigns won in Philadelphia that went south because I guess there was a horrible snowstorm and they actually had to host Raw from Titan Tower. They actually had to host, well, from the WWE television studio. It's right next to Titan Tower and you wouldn't know the difference unless you've been in the buildings, I suppose. But yeah, they actually had to host Raw from WWE HQ and then they threw the matches on tape and then they had a Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns face-to-face interview. They just got both guys into Stanford, into Connecticut because they didn't have access to the arena that day. But that's all to say that to me, the Sm- that SmackDown where Triple H was on commentary and it was really fun. That, that was a really fun show. That was a historic show, as a matter of fact. That's the beginning of the pandemic era. So if you want to say who's the MVP of the pandemic era, that's a bigger question. But the MVP of the Thunderdome era is 100%, no question, I refuse to even listen to a debate, Roman Reigns. It's not even close, as a matter of fact. Roman Reigns is doing the best. Roman Reigns was already the top superstar in WWE. Drew McIntyre started nipping at his heels a little bit after he won the Royal Rumble, but Roman Reigns was the guy. We get to the Thunderdome, and Roman Reigns, in front of no audience, is doing the best work of his career by a mile. Thunderdome-era Roman Reigns brought everybody around Roman to another level. It brought a, a, somehow, after all these years and all the amazing work he's done, somehow the relationship with Roman Reigns brings yet another side of Paul Heyman out as a performer. Thunderdome-era Roman Reigns brings Jey Uso with him to the point where Jey Uso headlined two WWE pay-per-views in the main event Universal Championship match, and people were into it. It brought Daniel Bryan back to a main event of WrestleMania. It main evented night two of WrestleMania, the spot. I mean, there to me, there there is no getting around it whatsoever. Roman Reigns is the guy, became the guy. Nobody has performed better. Nobody is a bigger star. Coming out of the pandemic, Roman Reigns is clearly, by a mile, your top guy in the promotion. He showed up at SummerSlam as a surprise, taking out Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt. And it started a tidal wave that hasn't even hit its peak yet. Believe it or not, this is crazy, but we're headed into June. That's 10 months of this Roman Reigns story. Everybody says that they want long-term storytelling. We're in the middle of a story that's been told over the course of 10 months, head of the table, Roman Reigns. And we're still, we're not, not only are we not tired of it, there's still so much runway ahead of us with this thing. Jimmy Uso just came back. 10 months. It started at SummerSlam, and you remember they did that weird thing where they had SummerSlam and then one week of TV and then payback like a week later. I think it was payback. And that was where the the TV between SummerSlam and Payback was where you got that iconic shot of Roman Reigns and the camera pans out and there's Paul Heyman sitting next to him. Whoa, goosebumps. 
Yeah, there's nobody better than Roman Reigns uh, in the Thunderdome era specifically. Now, the name that I saw get mentioned a lot, aside from Roman, obviously, I sent him a tweet with a gif of Roman in it because, I mean, come on. But Bailey's name got mentioned a lot. And Bailey, I'll hear. Bailey might be number two, even for just the Thunderdome era. If, if you said the MVP of the pandemic era, the names that I will listen to, I would listen to Drew McIntyre. You know, I think that the first half of the era was stronger for him than the second half. I think for, you know, there's a period of time when Drew McIntyre was the guy. Drew McIntyre put the whole company on his shoulders. Drew McIntyre was the star in the pandemic era. We tend to forget because we're kind of trying to wash the performance center era of the pandemic out of our brains. But Roman Reigns was never a part of the performance center era. Never. Roman Reigns said Tata was not there for WrestleMania and didn't come back until the Thunderdome debuted for SummerSlam. So entire Performance Center era, Roman Reigns was gone for. And in that Performance Center era, Drew McIntyre McIntyre stepped up in a big way. Uh, I think Randy Orton did some of the best stuff that he's done in a long time. I'd probably put Drew McIntyre ahead of Randy Orton in terms of pandemic MVPs. Ironically, when you talk about pandemic MVPs, MVP is a pandemic MVP. You know, MVP returns at the Royal Rumble in 2020, comes to Raw for a one-off, gets a job as a producer, ends up bringing back the VIP lounge as an interview segment. MVP during the pandemic became a wrestler, a commentator, a manager, a spokesperson, and led somebody to the WWE Championship. Make no mistake about it, Bobby Lashley would not be the WWE Champion today if MVP was not a part of the act. Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander would not have had a run with the Tag Team Championship had it not been for MVP with them. Now, I'm not saying MVP would have been as successful without those athletes around him. That's all well and good. But MVP, I think... If you're going to make a top three, full pandemic era, I might go so far as to say MVP might be the number one guy of the performance center era. And then a person that encapsulates both. A person that encapsulates some of the best work of the performance center era and some of the best work of the pandemic era. And quite frankly, a person that I think has truly found themselves in the last year, year and a half, is Bailey. Bailey, as far as the pandemic era as a whole, I'd listen to that conversation because you have to sit there and go like, look, you can say Roman Reigns is the number one guy of the pandemic era, but he wasn't there for the first, you know, quarter of it. And you're, yeah, that's true. That's true. And that, the first quarter was the toughest part, I think. The, the Performance Center stuff was, to me, the toughest part, I would imagine. It's the toughest part to watch. No offense to anybody. So that would draw into contention if you were doing the entire era. But you're not. You said Thunderdome era. Bailey, however, when you look at Bailey, I mean, Bailey might be the most 
underutilized person in WWE. I think the potential that Bailey has right now, what she's capable of right now, what she has discovered in herself as a performer, there's nobody on that level. The range that she has for what she can pull off, I don't think it's being tapped into at all. I think they're barely brushing the surface on what she can do. Every situation that she's been thrown in, she's excelled. When you think about the stuff with Bailey and Sasha together, when you think about the separation and how it was used to put Sasha over, when Ding Dong Hello comes out, everything that Bailey has done has turned to gold. Bailey lost like 11 matches in a row, and it didn't matter because she was so good. So while Roman is clearly the MVP of the Thunderdome era, if you're going to go full pandemic era, I might, I, I'm such a fan of what Roman Reigns is doing right now. It's going to be tough for me to not say he's number one. But the, my top three, you've, it's got to be MVP, Bailey, Roman Reigns, probably in reverse order. For me, Roman Reigns, number one, Bailey, number two, MVP, number three. I think. And if we want to break down the era further, we always can. Uh, and we are going to be looking at this era from a historical perspective. Ever since this thing started, not just in, in, in wrestling, but in life as a whole, we've talked about the light at the end of the tunnel. And while we've been searching for it, and while it's felt like there might be glimpses of it here and there, it feels like we, we have finally gotten there. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel. People are getting vaccinated. Many millions of people are vaccinated from this thing. In New York, where I live, the mask mandate has gone away. I mean, some businesses still want to keep the masks in effect, and that's totally cool by me, but the fact that, like, you can go to a gym now, and I go to a small gym. Obviously, I'm a small guy. And people are working out without masks on. To me, it's a sigh of relief. To me, it's a welcomed sight. On Friday, I could take my kid to t-ball practice and the kids were running around with no masks for the first time all season. Ah, beautiful sight to see. But to me, what really makes me realize is that life is starting to come back. Is that we're not hinting at experimenting with bringing wrestling shows back. We're not going, uh, here, we got three shows going here, or we got a set of TV tapings that we're doing in July there. It's like, no, I don't want to know that you were able to book one building for one night. I don't want to know that you were able to book a handful of buildings over a handful of nights. Tell me it's back. Tell me something good. Tell me that you like it. And it was announced, I believe on Friday, WWE announces the return of live crowds with a 25-city tour beginning July 16th. Yes, starting July 16th on SmackDown, we're going to Houston's Toyota Center. July 18th, Money in the Bank from the Dickies Arena in Fort Worth, Texas. Then July 19th, Monday Night Raw at the American Airlines Arena. Tickets are going on sale May 26th, which is this week for all of those shows. And then so on and so forth. They say 25 City Tour begins in July. I think what that really means is we're back. We're back on the road. I don't, nobody knows for sure. Those are the only three dates they've announced. 
I hope live events are coming back. I hope the whole thing is coming back. I don't think maybe you need to do quite as many live events as you were doing before, but I, I, I would love to see WWE on a regular schedule where somewhere in the world, doesn't even have to be in the country. For now, it'll probably be in the country. It said uh, 25 city tour. In fact, they said city. I'm assuming this is all United States. I think global travel is still a little uh, 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 cumbersome. But somewhere in the United States, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, have live events on Saturdays somewhere. If it's not a pay-per-view, live events on Sundays somewhere. And then Raw on Monday night. I think that it's doable. I think people want to get back to it. You can pick your cities. I know New York will show up for it. I know Philly will show up for it. I know. I don't know what the laws are in Chicago right now, but assuming you, I know they're bringing Lollapalooza back, so I know that they'll show up for it. And you know, it's really interesting. I, I think there are some people that are a little bit like I don't know. Like I saw uh, Stack Guy Greg on Peter Rosenberg's Cheap Heat podcast said he wanted to keep the Thunderdome like permanently. Like he wanted to be like, yeah, this is all TV is still done from the Thunderdome. And I'm like, are you crazy? Are you nuts? And then every every Sunday before we tape, uh, not Sam, before I tape Not Sam Wrestling, uh, I open up a Zoom room for the Hall of Fame level Not Sam Shills at patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. We just kind of, you know, throw topics around and, and gab. It's like, you know, sit down, having a beer, talking about wrestling with your buddies for a while, right? And I brought this up. And there is some concern for some of the people there going like, well, fans have ruined matches, fans are assholes, fans are this. And they brought up, you know, how there are some people who find it easier to do television without the fans, that it's easier to produce a TV show without the fans because you can do your stories the way you want to do your stories and timing works better. And my response was, yeah, I'm sure it is easier to produce a show without fans. Unfortunately, the show sucks, right? It's easier to do it that way. But it's also easier for me to just, if I have an essay to write, to just type, 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 done. Except it's garbage. Yeah, but it was super easy. Okay. I mean, the idea, and look, any WrestleMania you want to bring up, any WrestleMania you want to bring up, you go, what about WrestleMania 20? When the fans ruined Goldberg versus Brock Lesnar. What about WrestleMania, whatever it was, when the fans ruined Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns? You know what WrestleMania was worse than any of those WrestleManias? WrestleMania 36. In the Performance Center. Come on, guys. There is no way that this is anything but literally the best news that we've had in the world of wrestling since last March, I guess it was. I want to say March. In almost a year and a half, it's the best news we could possibly get. There is nothing like seeing wrestling with the audience there. If anything we have learned from the last year and change, it's that talking about how important the audience is in professional wrestling is not just a trope. It's reality. Okay, and all I started doing was thinking about some of the great moments that have been completely, amp not just amplified, but completely changed history 
by the fact that fans were in the building. For me, the loudest reaction that I ever heard was when Triple H was sitting in the bleachers of Madison Square Garden and Triple H returns from his quad injury. And all night long, they tease. Triple H is coming back. Triple H is coming back. Remember that YouTube Beautiful Day music video where Triple H is working out his legs? His legs are all better. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. Triple H showed up. Leather jacket. Denim vest over it. They even said they waited the entire show, the last commercial break. When we get back, Triple H will be here. Oh, my God. The fans are buzzing in Madison Square Garden throughout the commercial break. And when they come back from commercial and mm, mm, time to play the game comes on, the loudest reaction I've ever heard in person. And Triple H coming to the ring to that amount of sound set up exactly what this meant. The sound of the crowd was the essential soundtrack that you needed to hear so that the world watching on television knows the number one guy is back. The guy that fans have been waiting for. The new dude is back. And Triple H, when he left, he left as a villain. And when he came back, this is the fan reaction was the notification that we have a new superhero and he's Triple H. And all he did was come to the ring and announce that he's going to be in the Royal Rumble in a week or two weeks or whenever it was. And it was enough. All people wanted to do was see that superstar and hear that he was back. Having fans there for that changed it forever. If you had just had Triple H return to a Thunderdome, or to a performance center, it would have been like, oh, okay, this character's back. It's really cool. I'm glad he's back. But this, this made it different. And I was gonna, uh, I was gonna make a list of like my top favorite moments. I was thinking one thing I could do on the podcast today was make a list of the top moments that I have that I think the crowd made all the difference in the world. But then I realized that it's not just about me making a list. This is a celebration. This is the fans are back. So I decided to spend the weekend. And because also, you know, I wanted to share this joy with people. I decided to spend the weekend hitting up some of the people whose opinions about wrestling I trust the most fans people who they all work in media in some way shape or form but ultimately these are fans no wrestlers no quote-unquote journalists just wrestling fans all the people on this podcast today are people that I either would or have gone to wrestling shows with these are the people these are the people that if you said, Sam, I'm giving you one, how many, how many people are on today? If you came to me and you said, Sam, I'm giving you 
One, two, three, four, five, six. I don't know, six or seven tickets, whatever. Sam, I'm giving you enough tickets that you can bring a group of people with you. Who are you bringing with you? These are my people. These are the people that I'm bringing. And I wanted them to come on the show today and share their experiences with you guys. So here it is. This is my celebration of the fact that fans are going to be back in buildings. The best fan-shaped moments in the history of WWE, according to the people that I trust the most here on the podcast. The Not Sam Wrestling Interview. Joining us now, you know him from Say Less with Kaz. You know him from the MSG Network here in New York. You know him from uh, the Masked Man Show talking that wrestling. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, back on Not Sam Wrestling, Kaz hey, is hey. here. What's going on, man? How are you? I feel good, man. I feel good. I'm good. How about yourself? You look great, by I the way. I know we that. talked about this off air, but the bald... It fits you. I, I like it. I like it. I appreciate that. I feel like cosplay opportunities are an all-time high. <laughs> you know, I can go Triple H, thin out the yeah. beard a little bit. I can go Saudi Arabia, <laughs> HBK. I feel like throw a bandana on. I can go full Nick Gage. Like, you know, there's a whole... I was about to say, like, I think I think your Nick Gage is, is has <laughs> went up tenfold now. Like, you're definitely I mean, going to get booked for that. <laughs> bro, wait till Halloween and I shave the sides down and I'm full stone cold. Like, there's a lot. <laughs> it's a good look, man. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Well, thank you, man. Uh, I think for Halloween, I'm going to be retro, not Sam. I'm going to grow my hair out. <laughs> just like, since you're giving the gimmick up, I'm going to take it from you. It's yours. It's yours. You can have it. You can have it. You're just sitting there insulting beloved wrestlers. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, uh, it's uh, it's a very exciting time. WWE just announced they're going back on tour. I feel oh, yeah. like, you know, this is the return. Uh, and I wanted to talk to some people about favorite moments that you have that, that the crowd really created. You know, yes. those, those fan moments that have uh, resonated the most with you. Do you have a favorite crowd centered moment absolutely 1000 percent. it was uh wrestlemania 35 kofi mania i Ooh. was front row like i was I, obviously it's, it's it's i have a different sort of connection to this because i feel like i was kind of there for for a good chunk of like the rev up to kofi mania right yeah and one of my biggest like regrets working there was that like i didn't get to like see that all the way through yeah but one of the more fun parts was I got to enjoy it as a fan. Yes. So it was like, I got to do the Kofi mania stuff with Wale and, and Wale mania. And, you know, the, the, the buildup to that, I mean, I've been, you know, we, we've known each other for a long time. We've, I've been to several concerts, several sporting events, the energy. You've promoted in, them. You've been on stage for them. Yes. I've been on stage for most of those things. Right. Yeah. And the energy in the room, especially as time has gone on, the energy in the room when Kofi and the New Day came to Wale Mania um, unannounced and you felt all that like just groundswell of love and and just people just loving on Kofi. Like, mind you, like I, I put the show together. Booker T was the guest of honor. You know, the late great uh, Shad and JTG were there also. So um, Shad comes in and as Kofi comes on and, you know, uh, kind of bum rushes a performance, 
um, you know, Shad puts him on his shoulders and just lets him just feel all that love that he was getting in that in that room. And if the, if it would have stopped right there, I'd have been like, this is this is perfect. This is a fantastic night. And like Kofi could get 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 mauled on Sunday at WrestleMania, and it'd be like, it's okay because we gave him this moment. So we get to WrestleMania. I'm front row. I'm with Wale. And I'm like a few seats away from like Kofi's like family, like his wife and kids and everybody. And like for so, those that don't know, I've sat behind his family, not at Kofi Mania, obviously, but just at like a Royal Rumble that he was in, I think. The one in Philly, yeah. maybe. And like his family is in it. Yes. In yes. It. Like his kids are 1000% invested in the match. Right. Yeah. So like I'm watching them. I'm watching, you know, the kids and everything. And obviously like, you, you, you think he's going to win? Like, I, I know the guy. Like, we, we talk on a pretty regular basis. I'm assuming he's going to win, but I don't know. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know. Like, I've, I've, I've seen worse. I, I was just with Booker T. Like, I thought, <laughs> I thought that was going to happen, too. But, like, we've, we all had that thing inside of us that we're just like, it's got to be now. Like, it's got to be now. Especially as, like, a young Black wrestling fan. Like, that just meant so much. And from... The entrance to the match itself to the aftermath, I've never seen a stadium that collectively just over, like grown men crying, like people just like hysterically happy that you don't see in regular wrestling shows. Like wrestling shows, like if something happens, the most you get is like a, holy shit look at each other can you believe that happened like that's a great wrestling night for you yeah people were like hugging each other <laughs> like tearfully hugging each other like this was like 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 mandela was just freed like this was like you would think like something monumental had just happened and it was and it and it was it was monumental man like it was and it couldn't have happened to somebody that deserved it more that mm-hmm. would have gotten that specific reaction. Like, besides, like take away all the, all the accolades, take away everything you know about Kofi and the new day and everything like that. Just Kofi himself. He's never been a bad guy. Like he's been, a, he was a bad guy for like a, a half a hiccup with the new day. Like for a kind of, and it was really Maybe. only because people were booing him. It wasn't, it wasn't, he wasn't even like a bad guy. It just people didn't yeah. like it. Yeah. <laughs> like he wasn't like a textbook heel. Just like people just weren't really feeling the new day. Right. But he was always a good guy. Right. So him getting that moment and just seeing the crowd erupt and show emotion and recognize the moment, like recognize how important this was for people like me who grew up loving this. People like, obviously the New Day, who grew up loving this, would never get to see a moment like that in the WWE ring at WrestleMania for the WWE Championship. It just never, ever happens. And it was so awesome. I'm getting getting goosebumps even talking about it. Like, it's so awesome to, to, to be a part of history now. And, and obviously you felt it when it happened, but as like, you know, time is always the best judge. Like as we've gone away from that moment, you're just like, man, that was really, you know, with the pandemic and, you know, the Thunderdome and all these other things that have, that have taken place. It's like, wow. Like, I can't believe like I really got to be here in this moment with all these people and feel this like historic thing. So it was it was one of the it was definitely like jumps off the top of my list. There's plenty of other moments. Sure. But like I've never 
felt 60,000 people collectively just overjoyed like that in my life. It was fantastic. And it was also like, you know, you talk about like growing up a fan, like you're not like you know that young black fans are not looking at Kofi Kingston going, oh, this is like a version of me if I was playing a stereotype or, oh, this is a right. version of me if I was acting how people think that I act. This is like, no, like that's me. Like that's, that's my me. guy. Yeah. 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 Like he's a, he's a guy that's you, you know, like, yeah. and it's, and that's, that's what made it so satisfying. Like, I'm like, dude, if I was a five-year-old wrestling fan watching this for the first time, this completely alters the way I, I take this product in. I mean, I, I saw it as a grown man and I'm inspired, you know what I mean? Just seeing just everything, you know, shoot and kayfabe that he went through. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was, it was real. Like it's, it's a shoot. Yeah. But it, he went through some real tribulations to get to that moment. And anybody can relate to that. You don't gotta be a wrestling fan to be like, man, it's really good. It's really dope to see somebody strive that hard for something and finally get it and it's really interesting right because the build-up like prior to the gauntlet before elimination chamber it wasn't even a thought that kofi kingston was going to main event Not wrestlemania like he wasn't Not even necessarily going to be on the show right yeah. <laughs> and then you get there and you're you're right like it's one of to get that moment for a moment that people generally thought like was going to happen like clearly the only way the story can go is for Kofi to win. That's the whole reason this exists. Yes. But you're right. The opposite side of that coin, it's one of those rare instances in wrestling where you're like, if Kofi doesn't win the title, I think I have to stop watching WWE forever. Yes. Like, I can't, <laughs> was, I can't, they was, can't do this to me again. <laughs> there was a strong part of me that I was like, listen, <laughs> if the bad guys win this time, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's no point in, in continuing to watch it. There's absolutely no and, point. Like, it, it was, it was such the the crowd and and I'm glad this is like a, a pretty much a, a tribute to I guess the fans right the fans returning yeah the crowd the real stars of the show the WWE universe was forced their hand this does not happen <laughs> yeah. without you being a fan and making your voices heard and knowing this is what you wanted it does not happen point blank period so it was one of those things like all right if if they, if they don't pull the trigger here, I'm, 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 I think I might, I might have to go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how poetic is it too, that like the only other instance or the one that people bring up when you go like, Oh, times that, that the crowd forced their hand. Like the mm. other time that gets parallel to Kofi mania is, is yes. mania is the yes. yes movement is Daniel Bryan. And the yes. fact that, I mean, talk about an incredible performer. The fact that Daniel Bryan was able to pull off the most beloved, universally beloved WWE superstar <laughs> is able to pull off being that heel yes. that is like, no, I'm going to ruin it for you. The heel that we needed. Too, yes. Right. Like yes. the heel that we needed. There was a small part of me that it doesn't. I know people will say that, but it doesn't necessarily hit the same. If it's like Brock Lesnar, he beats, right? Right. Like, as much as we love Brock as, you know, being who he is, Dan O'Brien and the brilliance that he brought to, you know, no, it, it, it could only be Daniel Bryan. Yeah. That's, the, that's the beautiful thing about it. Like, it could only be him that he beat for the title because he's the only person that can experience or even 
in the smallest way relate to that groundswell of support from the fans and being that iconic baby face where it's like this dude overcomes all the odds he's the super underdog he's you know like it's between him Sami Zayn and Bailey three people I never thought I'd be able to boo mm-hmm. because you look at them and you're like these are just fantastic baby faces why would anybody ever change anything about this yeah and that's how you show how great of a performer Daniel Bryan is and that's why that win from Kofi meant so much more because that's a dude who is a first ballot Hall of Fame, not even WWE Hall of Fame. I'm just talking about like just wrestling in general. Life. Like an, Hall of Fame a, of life. Yes. <laughs> like if there's an all-encompassing like cool dude Hall of Fame, <laughs> like Daniel Bryan finds himself in there somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it, that being in front row for that and seeing, you know, Woods with tear in his, tears in his eyes and Eve with tears in his eyes and, you know, they had that wonky wooden title for a while and then he unveils the, the uh, blinged out regular title and the crowd erupts again and how and it was like how smart of the wwe by the way to know this is going to be a forever moment we do not want him with the wooden you know <laughs> no. recyclable wwe championship i would have went a step further and like burned it and really got like <laughs> extra like you know screw the earth screw the environment but um not it was and from the from the culmination to the actual match itself to the aftermath with his kids and the title and his boys holding them on his shoulders and his wife and it, I was spent yeah. after that match. I know I know Becky and Ronda and Charlotte had to finish uh, that night out, but that that's one of those moments where you know that was the main event, but that was the main event yeah that's, that's <laughs> like and you're emotionally just drained afterwards and it was one of the greatest live experiences of any live experience i've ever had and i think you're right about you know history telling the story and ultimately even you know two years removed i guess but when you think about wrestlemania 35 for me that's the moment um and i'm glad you brought it up kaz that's a real real good one uh great ones fun ones where can people where can people follow you and and get on board with everything you're doing Please follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Kazim, K-A-Z-E-E-M. You can check out my podcast, Say Less, on all streaming platforms and on YouTube.com slash Kazim. And I talk the graps on the Ringers Wrestling Podcast show, The Masked Man Show, with my good friend David Shoemaker. Check that out as well. Love it. You're the best man. Thank you. Thank you. Joining us now as we celebrate the fact that uh, WWE is coming back uh, to fans again, is somebody that uh, has seen a lot of these moments firsthand. If you go back on the WWE Network, you'll see his young cherubic face at the beginning of his career, right at ringside, squatting down for many, uh, many esteem moment. But uh, of course, he's been a fan for his entire life. Ladies and gentlemen, back on Not Sam Wrestling, Mike Mansuri. What's going on, pal? Hey, I think you just you hit it right on the nose. Cherubic is ex- exactly right. I would say uh, I was a portly lad at the beginning of my WWE career. I had a great time and uh, was very fortunate to witness a lot of epic moments, Sam, uh, live with the WWE universe cheering it on. Yeah, and you know, like we've been talking about, the fans really do make all the difference, and it's one of the things that makes wrestling unique. Is there is there a moment for you that? stands out as like oh my god the crowd 
what the crowd did here in this moment made history. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right off the top of the old uh, Cherubic Dome, <laughs> I, can, I can go back to uh, Money in the Bank. 2011 Woo! Chicago, the All-State Arena, Woo! CM Punk versus John Cena for the WWE Championship, and uh, Punk's contract expires at midnight, right? What's going to happen with CM Punk and his future with WWE? He said he's going to take the title and leave WWE with the WWE title in tow. Uh, it was awesome, and you know, from a fan perspective, it was awesome. From an inside perspective, there was a, there was a lot of questions in the air as the show was kind of getting nearer and nearer through the afternoon and going through rehearsals and stuff because no one knew outside of the principal participants and the, the big bosses what was going to happen. Yeah, Everything was a big question mark. And the crowd was also kind of left hanging. And keep in mind, we're at the, we're at the Allstate Arena, the old Rosemont Horizon. We're in CM Punk's backyard. So just a just a just an amazing uh, formula for what was hands down the loudest crowd reaction that I ever got to witness live, and probably the most impactful because of the belief, Sam. Right, like talk about being in CM Punk's hometown. You know the Chicago crowd and how they just love their hometown guy, but everyone believed in Punk, which is what made that mesh, that that moment so special, right? And you know, you go back a couple of weeks with the pipe bomb promo and everything that he was doing to get to this point at money in the bank, you know, to me, it was almost like the, uh, the precursor, you know, this is what paved the way for what would eventually become the yes movement and Daniel Bryan in that you're actually finding the fans, not only getting lost in the entertainment side, but really putting their hearts behind the belief in this person that they hold to be, the centerpiece of the company at the time. Yeah, and it's like John Cena represented, and all due respect to both performers, obviously, it's CM Punk and John Cena, for God's sake, but John Cena represented everything that WWE thought a top guy should be, and CM Punk represented everything that this segment of the fan base thought a top guy should be. And there was this kind of dichotomy going on at the time, this, this the, the thing that, like, two views that were complete opposites. And that, that section of the fan base was, I mean, we had been convinced WWE just doesn't see it our way. We're not going to see a top guy look like what we think a top guy should be. It's going to be what they think a top guy should be. And, and you know, as much as that sort of CM Punk model, you could see it reflected in Daniel Bryan, this John Cena model, you could see it reflected in Roman Reigns. And I think that's what's put the brakes on him becoming a megastar early because fans were so worried that we were getting another John Cena thing, another, you know, thing that that was not what we chose, that they were like, wait, 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 no, 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 no. Um, and I remember, too, like, you're, you, you hit the nail on the head when you were like, we didn't know what was going to happen. Because I remember this is one of the rare times where the dirt sheets are reporting the same things that the television show is reporting. Like, yeah. it's all, like, the, the line between kayfabe and real life is completely i mean forget about blurred it's obliterated and i mean i specifically remember watching on pay-per-view right and cm punk comes out with his new t-shirt on and it's the ringer t with the fist on it that looks like the flag and i go oh punk is staying he's got a new t-shirt merch and but then yeah. but but then punk turns around and the back of the shirt has Chicago, Illinois, and the date on it. 
So I go, oh no, that shirt's just for tonight. Is he not staying? Like, can they get away with him not winning the title? But would they ever have John Cena lose the title? Like, and 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 I I can't remember in ten years another time where I have known let you knew something significant had to happen, and you had no idea what it was. Oh, it's like it's it's Montreal. You know, fourteen years later. Montreal, you go into the same situation, right? Where the news had started to kind of leak out that Brett was leaving. Sean was the challenger going into the championship match with match with Brett, who was on the way out. And you kind of had a similar picture, except there wasn't that that animosity and that legit rivalry between, you know, John and Punk that existed between Brett and Sean. But there was that uncertainty because, you know, look, Punk was uh he was not one to mince his words and, you know, given the opportunities that he was given on TV, which me again, being on the inside, I was so surprised at how honestly they were allowing him to speak. And, you know, punk is somebody that I consider a friend. He helped to get my foot in the door at WWE. Um, you know, so hearing that, you know, I knew like off the bat, like, all right, this isn't, this isn't a work, if you will, like they're honestly letting this guy, express some frustrations if not all of his frustrations that have kind of led him to this point to where his contract is expiring and maybe he doesn't want to stick around wwe maybe there's more for him out there there's something else for him to do um his stock had never been higher Mm -hmm. you know in the wrestling business so he could have easily gone away he could have you know worked the end You had Ring of Honor where Punk had come from, so it was a it was a pretty wild time, man. Uh, just just with all that uncertainty and all that, uh, you know, you, you were legitimately left hanging at the edge of your seat to see what was going to happen. And the crowd and sounded it, like your dog right now. I mean, they got excited. They couldn't the believe it sounded like my dog right about now. <laughs> they couldn't believe it was really happening. And yeah, I mean, what's really interesting about that match is literally from the entrances throughout until the very end. And I mean, you think about that match and the visual that you're left with, and it goes back to the crowd It's CM Punk and he's sitting on the wall and he's holding the title and the fans are all around him and he's blowing a kiss and saying goodbye to Vince McMahon. And you're like, this is that, that that's, that's the story, right? That's the entire story. Sam, even prior to, right? Like in terms of just that Chicago crowd. So Chicago, Chicago's always had a, uh, a reputation as being one of the most just one of the hottest crowds in all of just wrestling right mm-hmm. uh, especially in that building the all-state arena for those that have never been in it so it's got an old school curved wooden roof which lend itself to just the acoustics and amplifying the the madness of 14 15 000 people there in a sellout so you know, you couldn't have asked for a better setting for this, obviously, given the story. How, I mean, how, how apropos that his last night at that point with the company was going to be in Chicago. But I remember during the video package, I was working ringside that day. So during the video package, I'm just kind of walking around doing a sweep of the ringside area. You know, we, we just want to make sure everything was clear. There's a lot of shit going on that night. So the package is playing and the crowd is already starting with the CM Punk chants. You get toward the tail end of the package uh, and they just continue to grow and grow and grow. And if you remember watching back on the broadcast, when they come out of the video package 
Allstate Arena is already fucking undone. They're there. They're completely just ready to rock and roll. And the moment that that first note of uh, Kill Switch Engage plays into the crowd, they just went berserk. Yeah. They went berserk. To quote Pat Patterson, they went knocked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I felt like with every beat that that match had, whether it was Vince McMahon or John Laurinaitis or John Cena not accepting the help or every every single beat, I feel like the crowd was on the exact same page and the crowd, the crowd was just there for that story. You can almost like if you were to just take out the commentary. And if you were to say, if you could be a blind man in that arena and just listen to the crowd and know exactly the story that was being told. One of the few matches, Sam, that you can get away with pulling the commentary and you can just get lost in what was happening. Yeah. And you could feel like everyone else felt that night at the Allstate Arena. And they really did take you on a phenomenal story of peaks and valleys. And like you said, Laurinaitis offering his help. When Vince finally makes his way out there, you're like, holy shit, like what as a fan, you're wondering what's going to happen. But you also know from a reality you know, based perspective, like this guy's done tonight. Right. There's no way in hell they're going to let him walk out of here with the WWE championship. It's his last night. You know, it happened. And my it tr- happened like he hits the GTS. Referee counts three, and it was almost one of those things where you're like, "Wait, did the show just break? The show <laughs> yeah. broken? What, what just happened?" <laughs> yeah, and it's good. It's cool that you brought up Montreal because while you're right, maybe there wasn't you know the fights between John Cena and CM Punk backstage that you heard about that made it so that people had to get kicked out of buildings and stuff like that. What Montreal did that changed wrestling forever was not only establish Mr. McMahon as a character, but it let everybody know that ultimately there are ways to maintain control of this product. 100%. Right. And, and, and because, and that was a, because that was a shoot, unless you're Scott Hall, he thinks it was a work, but I think it was a shoot (laughs) because that was real life. You were like, okay, there's always that little thing since 1997, November of 1997. There is, if you've been watching wrestling since then, there's always this little thing in the back of your head that goes real life could change. And those two in the ring might not even know it. Yeah. You know, completely out of their control. Right. Because once you're, once you're in the ring and you're doing what you do, there's a whole system in place that can really, you know, shift the, shift the, shift the direction of everything at, at the drop of a hat. And, you would have no say in the matter being one of the competitors out there. But, you know, they, they told a beautiful story. The fans were hooked from start to finish. I remember I was kneeling down in front of the, uh, the barricade wall on the hard camera side at the beginning for Justin Roberts to do like the announcements and stuff. Yeah. And Punk's family were right behind me and in the sea of people. And you know, like, you know, you could even hear them on the broadcast. Like they were just so unbelievably fired up and ready to go. Um, the crowd, the crowd was just hot, Sam. And I, I, again, I think with just that perfect structure, you know, for acoustics that that Allstate Arena is, hands down. I mean, louder than any WrestleMania that I got to experience, even WrestleMania 32 in Dallas. That night in Chicago was just unbelievable on so many different levels, and I think what was awesome was that again, let's say it again, like not to be repetitive, but you have this amazing crowd reaction that is sustained through the night 
paired with the emotion behind that reaction, like it was palpable. You can feel it. Like even talking about it makes the hair on my arm stand up because it really was just a very singular special moment in the history of the business that, you know, probably won't be replicated again, you know, with that sort of realism coming into play with the product, but not in an overly negative way, in a way that leads to a compelling story, not something that can be sensationalized. And, you know, he said, she said, who did what to who down the road. So is that the show, when you think about shows uh, that made an impact on you specifically from the crowd and the energy that the crowd sent your way, is Money in the Bank 2011, is that the show? It definitely is because it, uh, it's again, it's that, I feel like that, you know, gave way to so many awesome similar reactions down the line, like the Yes Movement, mm-hmm. when Daniel Bryan hijacked Raw going into WrestleMania 30 in New Orleans. Um, it, it was just, it was genuine. It was just genuine from the heart, craziness, emotion. I think in terms of an overall show, the only thing that I could probably correlate to it, and, you know, selfishly, this has got a personal, a personal tone for me because I was such a, a part of it, was NXT TakeOver Brooklyn. The mm. very first NXT TakeOver Brooklyn, the first arena show, NXT. Uh, wow, what a night. You know, uh, just a night where everyone was rallied behind this monumental occasion for a brand that really had a, a, a short this point and was still considered wwe's developmental brand you know no one expected that SummerSlam weekend nxt was going to go in and sell at the barclays center yeah you know to the even internally sam right like initially when that show was put on sale i think i want to say it was maybe six to eight thousand tickets were opened up initially because they weren't sure if they could fill it right and as the demand increased and it increased very quickly you know, our folks responsible for selling on the live event side, they just slowly peeled back the entire Barclays Center on the day of until, holy smokes, we sold it out. Yeah. NXT TakeOver Brooklyn sold out. And, you know, everyone's going to kind of get a chance to see on such a big level in a hot market like New York that, you know, what, what the buzz was. Because there was so much buzz around NXT at the time because it was the counterculture to the WWE within the WWE. And it was just awesome, dude. From the uh, from the beginning, I remember just before we went live, if you remember the start of that show, we had Triple H in the center of the ring. Yes. And he was cutting a promo to the camera. Yes. So Hunter beforehand was explaining to the audience what was going on because we weren't going to feed his mic initially to the house. Right. It was meant to just be quiet where you didn't know where he was. He was going to cut this promo, throw his arms up. We were going to light up the Barclay Center and the people were going to go nuts. He does the explanation. Everyone's just kind of giving him shit, but we knew <laughs> that the crowd was into it because, you know, NXT, what always made NXT special was, was what made ACW special back in the day was the, the crowd. The crowd was just a bigger character in those shows uh, as the talent were in the ring. So, you know, here we are in Brooklyn. These folks are going to get a taste of that full sale university crowd down in Orlando, but just amplified. They were excited to be part of the show. And when Hunter throws his hands up that night at the Barclays Center, the place was just was nuts the the electricity which you always hear people say uh again it was something that was like tangible you can almost like reach out and grab it and it was man just an awesome special show you kick it off with breeze versus liger and this awesome match and all the way through the card i mean you had that memorable match with bailey and sasha banks that tore the house down and then you follow it up with finn balor and kevin owens in that ladder match that 
you know, was just a holy shit from start to finish. Just, a, just an awesome, awesome night. And again, for me, a night that the reaction meant so much because it was genuine. There was so much emotion behind it, just more so than I like this guy or girl or I hate this guy or girl, so I'm going to cheer and boo accordingly. Yeah, I remember. I was sitting in the audience for that show when Triple H came out and did that. And like when he actually started his thing, anybody that was talking, they'd be like, Triple H. Everybody around it, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> We're doing a thing. This is our thing. Yeah, it was just, it was such a, a loyalty that was packed in. Well, uh, Mike Mansuri, those are, those are, those are two great selections. Um, I appreciate your contributions, man. Where can people follow along? Hey, I appreciate you allowing me to contribute. Uh, follow along on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Underscore Mansuri at MR underscore M-A-N-S-U-R-Y. Thanks, man. Hey, thank you. Joining us now, you know him from the Insight podcast, as well as being one of the top wrestling interview YouTubers in the game, and just general wrestling YouTubers. I see him on Quizomania. I know this guy's going beyond just interview guys. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, back on the show, Chris Van Vliet. What's going on, my friend? Uh, it's so good to see you. Thank you for having me back on, Sam. Of course. Well, I had to make sure that you were embraced by bald Sam because you've gotten the rub from Hair Sam, but that guy's dead. So it's it's a bald Sam world now, and and I want to, you know. You've officially killed Hair Sam? He sucks, that guy. I'm not even a, he sucks. I don't want to hear it. No, Hair Sam was great. He was a loser. He was a oh. loser. Bald Sam I, is the future. You are rocking this look, though. It's Stone Cold Sam Roberts over here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So, Chris, I know that you've got to be excited uh, about wrestling fans coming back as being a major part of uh, professional wrestling again. Uh, are there any moments specifically for you when you think about wrestling crowds and what they add to shows and, and matches and moments? Is there anything that stands out for you as, yeah, this is where the crowd turned this into something historic? Well, look, fans make every wrestling match that much better. Like, not having fans at a wrestling match or like not having people in the crowd for like a comedy show. So for me, it was my first ever WrestleMania that I went to WrestleMania 18. I have the poster on my wall. Yes, you because do. I love this match so much rock versus Hogan. That's my ticket in the bottom corner. There It was only $135 to sit in the 16th row back in 2002. Is that Canadian though? That was Canadian. Yeah. So that's like $900 in the U S right? <laughs> no, it's the other way around. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's like $90 US. Not too bad. Not too bad. You get yourself a deal. But that's a match that, sure, like I always say that's my favorite match of all time. And it's my favorite match of all time because of the crowd reaction there. Like, was the in-ring wrestling really that great? It was fine. But that stare down at the start of the match. And Mike Chioto told me that was not planned. But the fact that they stared each other down and the crowd's just going wild. That's the match. I mean, that, that match is incredible that moment right there is it isn't it great when you hear things like that from people like mike Kyoto? because you would assume that somehow they just knew that that reaction yeah. is what would happen but the idea that both hogan and the rock are that level of performer and professionalism where they just both inherently understand because didn't they do the thing where they both kind of looked around yes like almost like it was completely choreographed 
but they're just both operating on that other level oh, where I'm, they I'm, know. I have, I have massive goosebumps just <laughs> thinking about this right now. Good. But the fact that Hogan went in as a heel and as soon as he got in the ring, everybody turned and they were cheering for Hogan and booing The Rock. In fact, the first time I interviewed The Rock, I told him, you know, Rock Hogan, WrestleMania 18, my favorite match of all time. He goes, oh yeah, who are you cheering for? <laughs> and I go, uh, I was cheering for Hogan. And he goes, huh. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, because The Rock, you forget, like, you know, The Rock grew up in the business. So, like, as yeah. a kid, he's just as much in tune with Hulkamania as the rest of us. So I'm sure that he was feeling that as well. And what's so remarkable about that match is that The Rock does start, if you watch it, I think The Rock kind of adapts his style to start working a little more heel. In, oh, he had to. Yes. My favorite moment in that match is obviously Hogan is kind of leading the match at first. He's knocking the rock down and he's getting these massive ovations, these massive pops every time he knocks the rock down. And by the time it comes to like the second or third knockdown, Hogan's like surprised by this reaction. I mean, think about it. He's been a heel with the NWO at this point for years. This is the first time he's really getting cheered. And there's a moment where he flexes, does the Hogan flex, and he looks around. And he's like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> they're cheering for me. And Hogan told me that he had to tell The Rock to slow down because, you know, The Rock was working really fast. And yeah. The Rock, you know, not realizing what was really going on. He got him in the corner and told him, like, slow down. And that's the match that we ended up seeing. But I challenge you to watch the first three, four minutes of that match and find a better crowd reaction anywhere in wrestling because you will not find it. I think you may be right. I mean, and it's really interesting too for Hogan because he probably was legitimately surprised not only because he had been Hollywood for as long as he'd been Hollywood, but before he turned over to Hollywood and he had briefly gone back to red and yellow in WCW, but it wasn't, a, it, it, it was nothing. Like nobody cared. It didn't work at all. And yeah. when you think about right before he turned Hollywood, when he was the Hulkster in WCW, the reason he turned Hollywood was because people thought he was a cornball because it was over. <laughs> it was not getting those reactions. So the fact that it had been gone for so long that it had actually made the full loop and that it wasn't like people saw it as Hogan in 94, 95 that they were tired yeah. of. It was like 85 all over again is yeah. amazing. And Hogan told me that because of that amazing crowd reaction, what we saw at the end of the match, it was not planned. I mean, Rock won the match. Right. And Hogan was told to stay in the ring. And Hogan told me, oh, that's weird. Like, why am I staying in the ring? Like, I'm, I'm the one who lost the match. And Vince sent out Holland Nash to beat up Hogan and turn on him. <laughs> that was completely unplanned, all because of the amazing reaction in Toronto. That's so cool. I love stories like that. And, and that's what makes this match unique. Because, like, when you think about the double turn, right? When you think about a babyface going heel, a heel going babyface, you think about the master class that Bret yeah. Austin put on at WrestleMania 13, sure. right? And and just how like this is maybe the ultimate wrestling match ever. But that was supposed to happen. That was like the plan going in. The yeah. plan going in was okay, Bret goes, you know, they're probably mainly going to cheer me. They're probably mainly going to boo Austin and then we're going to tell this story they were in control. That's going to lead the audience to booing Brett and cheering Austin. Yeah. With Rock and Hogan, the crowd acted independently. The crowd yeah. decided, nope, we want Hogan and we want him back in red and yellow and we want our Hulkster back. And this is the great thing about 
Canadian crowds in general, but specifically Toronto crowds and Montreal crowds is they kind of just go to the beat of their own drum. And I love that here they leaned into it. Yeah. Do you think that that was encouraged by like that 97 era, 98, 97 era, Bret Hart, that like the idea that the WWE fully embraced that Bret will be a villain in the United States, but when he goes back to Canada, he'll be the ultimate hero. And we're going to lean into this fact that, you know, the Canadian fans tend to go off script. We're going to fully lean into that. Do you think that, that that kind of empowered the Canadian fans even more to go like, oh, if we're loud enough, like we can change the story. They're not going to, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, if this is the late nineties. How can you not cheer Bret Hart? Right. Bret Hart's in Canada. Like the man is like, living and breathing and bleeding you know the red and white for canada so like whatever he was doing on raw on mondays didn't matter when he came to canada because he's waving the canadian flag although yeah. i always thought it was strange that like the easy way to get heat in the u.s is just wave a flag of a different country well he you also know? i mean he didn't just wave the flag of canada he also said that america was shaped like a toilet <laughs> and, well, which you know. i mean like well, you're talking geometry. Like, I'm not going to call him a liar, <laughs> but, but it's not necessarily the comparison that I would make. But yeah, um, yeah, I sometimes think that maybe the Canadian fans at that point were like, oh, cool. So WWE is cool with this. We're going to go full force. And so when WrestleMania comes up, you know, they're like, well, I don't care if you're telling me that that's Hollywood Hogan, the villain. The immortal Hulk Hogan is back in Toronto. I'm cheering for that guy. Well, and think the last time that WrestleMania was in Toronto before WrestleMania 18 was when Hogan was in the red and yellows. So I bet you a lot of those people that filled Sky Dome for WrestleMania 18 were the same people who <laughs> filled Sky Dome years you know, before. For six. And they were going, that's our guy. That's Hulk Hogan. Yeah. We gave you Warrior. We're not giving you Rock. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I love it. I think that that's, a, that's an excellent, excellent pick. And when you're talking about fan moments, yeah, you're going to, you you would absolutely be able to argue that as number one. There's a couple other things you could sprinkle in there, but there's no way that that's not a solid debate. And I think that that's the match that if you were to show someone a wrestling match and they've never watched wrestling before, they're obviously aware of who The Rock is. They're mm -hmm. aware of who Hulk Hogan is. And you just tell them, the Rock is supposed to be the good guy here. Hulk Hogan is supposed to be the bad guy here. Then hit play. And the story is just told. It is true. That, 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 that's one of those very rare matches that you don't have to be a wrestling fan yes. to get hit with that wave of emotion. Like the goosebumps yeah. that you were feeling, you don't have to be a wrestling fan to feel those goosebumps. You just inherently get it because you're right. And yeah. part of that is because The Rock and Hulk Hogan are the two biggest stars in the history of wrestling. So it's like you understand what you're watching. Right. You know? So with all of that said, yeah. I am so pumped for fans to be back in arenas all across the country. Yeah, let's get another uh, Rock Hogan. Let's do it. Let's Jeez. do it. This year. Come on. Uh, all right, Chris. Great pick. I love it. Thank you for making the time. Uh, where do you want to send everybody uh, to, to get a taste of everything you're doing? I know that uh, you're still pumping out the interviews like crazy. You get to sit down in a room with Nick Gage, which uh, which is amazing. I saw Chuck Palumbo just hit the YouTube channel. I love that like that that you run the spectrum. It's like it goes from somebody who's super newsworthy and of the moment to like, oh yeah, I was wondering what happened to that guy. 
Yeah. And, and thank you for the kind words. And next week I've got Xavier Woods on the show yeah. and Scorpio Sky on the show. And, you know, I don't just interview wrestlers. I've also got Sean O'Malley, who's a UFC star. He's fighting on the same card as Conor McGregor, July 10th in Vegas. So wherever you're listening to this right now, you can find my podcast, Insight with Chris Van Vliet. And on social media, it's just my name, at Chris Van Vliet, V-A-N-V-L-I-E-T. Stone Cold Sam Roberts, thank you so much for having me on. That's right, the Westchester rattlesnake. Thank you, <laughs> Chris Van Vliet. You may or may not know our next guest is the, the face in the screen on Not Sam Wrestling on the WWE Network or Sam Roberts Now. He's been, you've been on Not Sam Wrestling before, right? You were on the podcast before, right? You got me out one time, Okay, Sam. all right. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, the man behind the scenes at Not Sam, Hot Dog, is here. Hot dog. Hello. I can know. I clap for myself? Of course you can clap for yourself. Nobody else is going to. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of clapping, I know you've got to be excited that fans are back there. I can't count the number of trips that we've been on where it's like you're there for work, but like the whole time you're like, yo, do you think you think there's someone that could hook me up with tickets? <laughs> like there's actually a story. Which WrestleMania was it? Was it 30... It must have been 35, right? Tell me tell me the location. New Orleans. Uh, uh... Well, wh- were you there in New Orleans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I, I was it was there. 34. It's definitely 34 then. Yeah, because I brought you out to New yeah. Orleans. And we were trying to get you tickets. And our pal Joe Villa, who was working in PR at the time, just kept going around to the different department heads asking for tickets for Hot Dog. And he would never use your real name. And he was driving everybody crazy going, what? What are you talking about? Who who is hot dog? What is a hot dog? Well, it maybe it made me sound like I was a pre like a, a diva by the time yeah. I got there because I, I didn't even pick up the tickets from Joe. I picked it up from like another person. <laughs> one of the guys, like, hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of the guys that Joe had been bothering. But that's all to say for you, uh, being a part of these shows and being in the audience is a big deal. So you've got to be real excited that fans are coming back. Yeah, I, as soon as I saw that tweet from WWE, I was like looking at the dates. I was like, okay, New York, New York one. Yeah, when's it coming? Yeah, am I, I be there? Are we flying to Texas? Are we flying to Texas? Just tell yep. me. Tell me. <laughs> so, what for you when you think about like moments that stick out as as kind of fan created moments? What mm-hmm. comes to mind for you? Uh. Top of my head, there's a couple that stick out. Uh, Royal Rumbles are always amazing uh, when kind of when the crowd is really, really pulling for one person to win it and they all go crazy. But if my favorite moment that could that that either builds somebody like Drew McIntyre, it makes him Roman Reigns like it takes him literally years to recover from. Even with The Rock there, even with The Rock, The Rock takes some years. How great is that? Like the fans made it so that we have. This moment of the rock looking around like, what is this sound? What is this sound that I hear? I don't I don't recognize it. What is what is that? Are they saying boo? <laughs> yeah. yeah. All of a sudden his hair started going curly and he started becoming Rocky Maivia again. Like what no, no. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I kinda like it when the crowd uh isn't, you know, it really lets their their uh, voice be heard, but that takes me back to uh ECW's one night stand pay-per-views, uh, 2005, 2006, that was, I wasn't there for it, but uh, I really, really, really wish I was. It's, it's one of my favorite crowd interactions. Is there one specific moment that you're like, yep, yep. That's when it was the crowd. Two. Okay. Yes. Two, two moments. Right. Um, 
Sandman's entrance in 2005. Which, I, I mean, Bubba Dudley argued that that's literally the best single wrestling entrance ever. Mm -hmm. Like, and yeah, you he was could on the, the network show. You could argue it. You know, it's like the Undertaker is gonna. You're gonna find examples of specific Undertaker entrances that are gonna compete with it. But man, in terms of fan interaction. And it's and it's interesting too because you can never really recreate it. I mean, you can find bootleg versions on YouTube, I think, but like on the mm -hmm. network, because they don't have the rights to enter Sandman by Metallica, like it's just not the same because the music's dubbed over. But you're right, that original Sandman coming out to enter Sandman, walking all through the Hammerstein, like up in the balconies and everything. And everybody people just... grabbing the cane and smacking themselves <laughs> with it. It's amazing. He came all the way from the top. I, like, I didn't know Sandman at all. And I wasn't an ECW guy in the 90s. I was, I think, too young for it. So this was kind of like my, my first introduction to everything. And I was like, who's this guy? This is this is like I, I didn't hear about Sandman at all before this. And I was like, I love this guy. That's... And the crowd completely made me believe in. That's so funny. But if you had been at that show, you would have been like, yeah, I've been watching this guy for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd get my Sandman merch right after the, uh, the match. Absolutely, that's but. so funny though. That's that's actually even better. Like that coming from that perspective, that the fan interaction in that entrance was so great that you, as somebody who was completely unfamiliar with the Sandman's work, like you were watching ECW one night stand for the WWE guys. Right, Raw was going in. Carlito was going to be there. <laughs> yeah, I'm here for Carlito. What are you guys here for? Caribbean cool, baby. <laughs> and here comes the Sandman. ECW ass. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. I had forgotten that people were hitting themselves with the cane. Yeah, it was awesome. So good. That was uh, a good one. So uh, next year it was uh, Cena versus RVD. That <laughs> entire match, that crowd. I don't, I don't know a crowd that's more pumped up than that one. And leading up to it, after seeing One Night Stand 2005. I'm like, this crowd might really fucking, you know, do something if, if things don't go their way. It's, it was such a great atmosphere. It really is. When you think about, like, there are a, a, a small handful of signs. Like, you can you can think of super fans that you recognize them by face. You know, uh, Vlad, Vladimir, obviously, uh, Ringside Charlie, like, guys like that. But there are only a few specific signs. Like, use my sign, Tommy, was a big ECW thing where the sign said, use my sign, Tommy. And Tommy took it out of the crowd from somebody that was holding it up. And he hit somebody with the sign. And then he ripped off the poster board. And there was a stop sign oh, that's great. buried in the, in the poster board, which was great. Um, yeah. So there was that one. But I think, yeah, if Cena wins, we riot might be the most famous sign. Like, you remember the font. You remember everything about that sign. It was so big. It was draped over iconic. the balcony. It's iconic. And now it's used as the parody all yeah. the time for, yeah. for any time uh, something happens that people don't like. Yeah, and I mean, do you remember how long it went on with Cena throwing his shirt and his hat and stuff out into the audience and everybody throwing it back? And like this, like Cena was getting kind of a little bit of booze on Raw leading up to it. Because I remember WrestleMania against Triple H, he he wasn't like the favorite, but like. This was like this cemented him like we, the hardcore fans do not like you. This is our guy. I uh, the visual of him coming down to the ring with like his head down and like holding the title and just walking to the ring so badass. And everybody so on top badass. of him like the the yeah. the, the, the entranceway was so narrow. Everybody's like on top of him, 
and he's just pushing through. And you're like, yeah, it was like the first time, like it, it felt like the territory days. Like you were like, I, I, I worry about this guy's safety. Like this guy's going to need an escort leaving the Hammerstein tonight if he wins. Oh my God, they're going to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the fact that the, the audience was so into that match. And I mean, the whole, and it's very, it's a very uh, indie thing, I think. You don't hear it that often in WWE. Maybe you will when fans come back. I don't know. But the whole like exchange of strikes, like the striking exchange where you cheer for one and you boo the other. Right. Yeah. Boo. Yeah. <laughs> and it was probably more so for that match than I've ever seen. Just like everyone in the building. And the Hammerstein only seats like 3,000 people, I think. It's it, But it sounded like 100,000 people. Just everybody right. at the top of their lungs. Every time Van Dam landed a strike, it was, yeah! And every time Cena landed anything, it was, boo, you suck! I remember all the little moments from that. Like, I remember, like, it, yeah, it was going back and forth. Yeah, boo, yeah! And then, like, you know, uh, I think I think uh, Rob Van Dam threw, no, Cena threw two back-to-back, so you just hear the crowd going, yeah, boo! <laughs> yeah. So good. Yeah, that was a very ECW thing, too, where they'd get on a roll where they'd go like, yeah, boo, yeah, boo. And then the guy that they liked would start hitting him with a series of strikes. And the the the, the spot would be like, it would go, yeah, boo, yeah, boo. And then the guy that yeah. people like would go for a series of strikes and then wind up for one big strike. So he'd go, yeah, boo, yeah, boo, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I honestly, if like if I could, someone come up to me, came up to me and was like, which show would you go? Would you rather go to like WrestleMania 17 or or any of these classics or one night stand? Easy, easy. Oof. I'd go to one night stand. Yeah, that's how much I love that crowd. I think that that's a good call, man. I love that. That's the uh, that that's the reference. Yeah, because it really was. Everybody was just on board with everything. And it's one of those moments where the match went with the crowd, right? Like mm -hmm. Rob Van Dam winning the WWE championship was not only unlikely going into that match. It was like unheard of. It was like an absurd proposition that Rob Van Dam would win. But then you were also like, but how do they make Rob Van Dam lose in front of this crowd? And so when Rob Van Dam actually won the WWE championship, in the Hammerstein. Keep in mind, Rob Van Dam never won the ECW championship. Rob Van Dam yeah. was the ECW television champion, but he never held the world title. So it's like all these fans that were all holdovers from the original ECW got to see Rob Van Dam. And it was just in that moment, because it wasn't that long after that he got the drug charge and, and he had to, and he was stripped of the title. And he wasn't stripped of the title. He had to J-O-B out for the title. But in that moment, it was like, the culmination of everything from everybody that had loved Rob Van Dam, everybody that had loved ECW, it was like, here are your flowers. You earned them. Right. They didn't announce him as WWE champion that night. They announced him as the new ECW champion. That's great. When he, he won the yeah. And that was so and then and then it wasn't that night, I don't think. I think it was like a couple weeks later when he had he would walk around with the WWE championship and the ECW championship. And he was, I think he was the one that went, look, this one spins. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> well, Hot Dog, that's some great insight. That's a that's a great addition. I love that because it really was. Man, all these, all, all, it's going to make me want to go back and watch uh, ECW One Night Stand. But is there anything, uh, 
I mean, I guess I was going to I'm asking everybody if they want to plug stuff, but you should probably just plug all my stuff, right? I'll, I'll plug uh, follow not Sam on uh, Twitter <laughs> and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. All right. There you go. Yeah. If you're listening to this, subscribe to it. Yeah. <laughs> you're plugging the podcast that you're on. Uh, thank you, Hot Dog. Thank you. Joining us now, one of the great trusted brains in professional wrestling analysis. He's the host of Busted Open on SiriusXM, which is also a tremendous wrestling podcast for those of you that are too cheap to get a SiriusXM subscription. Ladies and gentlemen, David LaGreca. What's going on, LaGreca? How are you? First of all, you're describing all my family and friends when you say too cheap to get serious. Yeah. Yeah. That's when the podcast comes out, they go, so, so I don't have to get serious anymore. And you're well, that's not really the point. It's more, I mean, I, I guess if you want to phrase it that way. Well, no, my mom, before the podcast came out, my mom would call me at, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning <laughs> and I'd be like, I'm on the air, mom. And she'd be like, well, I thought your show was at two. I said, yeah, it was three years ago. Right. Thanks for listening to the show. You know, she didn't want to tell me she was too cheap to get serious except. So she said she just lied and told me she listened to the show every day. But obviously, when you don't know the time of the show, you're probably not listening to the show. I thought it was only on on Wednesdays. No, mom. That was a long, long time ago. So, Dave, we got the news. WWE is going back on tour. Uh, this big 25 cities that are going to get uh, introduced, which I'm sure will lead to 25 more and 25 more and 25 yeah. more. We're back, I feel like. Uh, do you have a favorite crowd moment in your history as a wrestling fan? I do, and it's going to surprise you. I have mm. a couple, but one in particular that I thought was beyond the loudest. And, and people don't really talk about this moment like I feel like, it should be talked about. And it happened in New Jersey because as you know, Sam, big Jersey guy grew up watching wrestling at the Meadowlands. Um, And this was right after the night after WrestleMania 29. That was at MetLife stadium, Monday night, raw IZOD center, which used to be called the continental airlines arena, which used to be called the Meadowlands arena, which used to be called the Brendan Byrne arena. Wow. And that is when, Dolph Ziggler won the World Heavyweight Championship. The cash-in, the place goes nuts. The fans are on their feet for that entire match. And the moment that he won that title over Alberto Del Rio, I swear it was the, the loudest pop I had ever heard in that arena. And that's telling you something. Yeah, I love that one. Because that's also, like, it brings you back to the original excitement of the Money in the Bank, which is why yeah. I, I don't think big stars should win the briefcase, generally speaking. And I also think way too often now people lose when they cash in the briefcase because people were on their feet for the entire match because it was like, oh, my God, Dolph Ziggler's winning the title tonight. Yes. Like, and, and, you know, don't forget at that time he was a heel and Alberto Del Rio was the face. Right. And that kind of, I felt like that night was like the beginning of the whole, you know, night after WrestleMania crowd hijacking the show type of feel. I, I felt like it started that night after WrestleMania 29. Yeah. And it's so interesting because with those moments, like you don't know, did the crowd just put Dolph Ziggler on another plateau? Did the crowd just create something that's going to turn Dolph Ziggler into the next phase of his career? 
or is it just a moment? Is it is it just this singular moment in time that you'll remember? And I guess, yeah, people don't really talk about that moment. People talk about that moment in terms of great, like, cash-ins, but just in terms of great reactions. People don't talk about that, but I guess being there, you're never going to forget it. And I think, too, Sam, the big reason why is because of what you just said. It didn't catapult into this huge stardom for Dolph Ziggler. I mean, Dolph Ziggler is consistently good, but I really felt that that night was like, all right, this guy is now one of the top guys in the company. And that just didn't happen. And I feel like I thought that was going to be one of many amazing moments for Dolph Ziggler. But I think, I think even if you asked him, that was almost like his career defining moment. And I don't know if he'll ever reach that height again. Yeah. It's interesting. It was like the, the sync, like the highlight reel becomes yeah. just that one moment on repeat. Like it, cause it kind of does like when the crowd reacts like that, it tells the whole story. The crowd reacts like that because this isn't like, he hasn't had opportunities to be the champion because, because people have been hungry to see it, but didn't think that we would ever quite get there. Yeah. Like it, it, all of his hard work, everything, like the entire story of his career up until that point gets told within the match and by the reaction that the result of the match gets. And Big E and AJ Lee were outside the ring. They were with Dolph Ziggler at that time. And I just remember the, the camera showed AJ Lee and she looked nervous. Like her hands were like, she was shaking her hands and she was blinking. And, and like, I felt like everybody in the crowd was just like AJ Lee. Like everybody wanted to see Dolph Ziggler win that title. And like, they were, they were, like, is it going to happen? Could this possibly happen? Is Dolph Ziggler and the, the place just explodes? I'm telling you, I've been to that arena so many times for wrestling, for concerts, for for Devils games, Nets games. I never heard a reaction like I did that night after WrestleMania 29. I mean, that goes to show why, like, crowds are so important, specifically in professional wrestling, because of what you just said. Like, yeah. magic moments happen in sports all the time, but ultimately... The crowd is there to witness those magic moments. The crowd isn't there to create those magic moments. And if you see Dolph Ziggler cash in in the Thunderdome, it's cool, but it's not. No, it's, no, it's no. not. And that, and Sam, like, I, I don't think, and I think we had this discussion the last time we talked about when it came to WrestleMania 36. I don't know if I'll ever go back and watch any of these matches or shows during this Thunderdome period. Like, I thought they did a great job and it looks cool, but without that fan interaction like and they did the best they could to kind of reenact the fan reaction it's just it's just not the same the crowd is such a more than any other form of entertainment more than any other sport you need the crowd for pro wrestling what was the music Dolph was using at the time was that I am perfection no, I think it was. I'm here to show the world. <laughs> right. Because I got to imagine. I mean, I haven't watched that cash in, in so long. I'm probably going to go watch that cash in like as soon as this conversation's done. Because, But <laughs> like as soon as I'm here to show the world kicked in, that must have been when people stood up like, oh, my God. And then just did not like you hold your breath when the music hits. And somehow you spend like the next seven minutes with your breath held because you're like, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Like that. that's. That's the beauty of a moment like that. And especially at that point in my career, like, you know, Sam Roberts back the night after WrestleMania 29 was sitting at ringside 
people coming up to you with drinks and food. That's, that's, Mr. Roberts, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? That's when I was over. That's before I got, I mean, I've been buried since then, but I was over back then. Yeah, if you needed to use the bathroom, they come and they, they put you in the back, like your old bathroom. Like I was, see, I was in the last row yeah. of the arena that night with my daughter, like the last row of the arena. And I was like the whole night, I'm like, I can't, I can't even see what's going on. (laughs) But in that moment, I, I, it's like, I was put there for a reason. I was able to really feel that moment more than any other one because I was actually looking down at the crowd when that moment happened. So to just see that wave of people stand and the the place go nuts, it was just a very surreal moment for me. And think about how far that you've come now. You're in the front row of the 300 section. So that's huge. Now now I'm front row 302. (laughs) That's big. I've gone from row 24 (laughs) to row 1 302. So yeah, thank you for acknowledging that. It's big. It's big to watch your growth has been incredible. And of course, go ahead. No, I was going to say, maybe after that last rant I had, I might not even be able to get in the building. Oh, yeah, no. Oh, you don't like zombies, huh, LaGreca? Oh, you don't like zombies. Well, we won't make you suffer through them again. Oh, no, 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 no. We won't put you through that, buddy. We won't put you through. Yeah, this next uh, live event tour, this is the Dave LaGreca is buying his tickets tour. (laughs) 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 Well, Dave, uh, you're the best. I love talking to you about this stuff. Uh, everybody can check out Busted Open every morning on SiriusXM, a morning show devoted strictly to wrestling Monday through Saturday, not even Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, uh, with Tommy Dreamer and the world's strongest man, Mark Henry and Bully Ray. And then, of course, every week you can catch that Busted Open podcast as well. It's always a pleasure, Dave. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Sam. Love you, buddy. Thanks. As the fans... Are, are starting to get ready to pour back into arenas again to watch WWE. It's a very exciting time. So who better to talk about this with than one of the great WWE fans that I know. You can see him on uh, the kickoff shows on Peacock. You can see him uh, uh, on or hear him, I guess, and see him on the YouTubes on Hot 97 every morning. The Michael K show every afternoon, which, by the way, look what showed up. Look what I got. I got the Kester's book. In my, I came to my house today. I guess he's doing my radio. I guess he's doing my radio show. I don't know. Wow, really? Yeah. Wow, that's really cool. You got it before me, dude. It's and uh, I, I pre-ordered it. Yeah, I didn't even know he had a book, and it came to my house today. So yeah, it actually looks pretty. It's, it's it's a good idea. We should actually just steal it. It's just it's just all the interviews. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we could definitely. You and I could definitely each do just a wrestling book based on the wrestling interviews that we've done throughout our decade and a half doing this well you know you said it sam not me yeah we haven't we have some would say that we were really the first people out there doing things like this on the internet some would say we're the ogs of the game some would say some would say some would say some would say so peter rosenberg uh what when i talk about moments that have been not just amplified by fans but created by the audience that was in the building on that given night. What is one of those big moments for you that comes to mind? Well, you know, when you, when you frame it like that, making it like really like the fans are the moment. Yes. Um, I would say 
the one that stands out to me immediately, it's it's still a big match, and I'm sure others mentioned it to you, but it's Rock Hogan at WrestleMania 18 in Toronto. Um, because, don't get me wrong, obviously the Rock and Hulk Hogan in and of itself is a huge deal for a variety of reasons. But when you really watch rewatch the story, there's not a ton there story-wise. It, it's kind of like, NWO shows up, runs into the rock. It's very, there's a rock beat down. Let's do this. Like they jumped right to it. Um, And so while obviously the characters are so important, it's not story-based. It's sheerly based on how much the crowd wanted it. And the crowd was their own story in that match because they turned on themselves multiple times throughout (laughs) the match. You know, the, the, the match starts, and it's all uh, – like, what was the order? Starts out cheering Hogan, booing Rock. Right. And and by the time we get to the end – and, of course, Rock and Hogan deserve credit for this as well. But by the time we get to the end, they – in the last couple of minutes of the match, Hogan kicks out. They go nuts. But then when The Rock finally wins it, they go nuts again. They were just – it was one of those moments that if you were to have the rock and Hulk Hogan in uh, the performance center or in the Thunderdome or in anywhere where there weren't a dome full of people, it just would never have been the same match. You know, it's really interesting because you wonder what those things trigger, like what those moments really trigger. Like, like as we're talking, I'm thinking about how far back this really goes. And I go back to like 96, for example. Because it's specific cities, right? Like you think about Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble, Philadelphia. That's it. Philadelphia being the component is so important. Chicago's one of those cities, but New York is one of those cities too. And when you go to 96 and you go to Survivor Series, and that's November of 96, Shawn Michaels had won the title in March of that year at WrestleMania 12. And mm-hmm. I mean, so much work had been put in to the boyhood dream has finally come true, but leave it to the fans in New York city to show up as psycho Sid fans. Because if you watch that back, it's like Sean starts to completely break character and starts cursing out the fans. Cause he's so mad that everybody's booing him. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing, you know, this is why the fans coming back are so important. And you, there are people who are like, oh, well, you know, fans shouldn't dictate storyline. Of course they should. Of course they should. It doesn't mean that you follow every whim that the fans have, but that's what the whole thing is for. You know, I, I think sometimes we get caught up. Fans have a tendency to get caught up on wins and losses. Mm-hmm. And they don't, we don't always conceptualize, no matter how much we think we do. We think that the person winning saves like it's their first ever title. You know, there's some really big, significant thing. But if it's a regular title change or a regular match, screw a title. We think, no matter how much we think we're smart to the business, we think that the guy or girl on top is happier at the end of the night than the one looking at the lights. Right. We, we can't get that out of our head. Right. We don't realize that the only thing that matters to them is what the crowd does. Yes. That's it. 
Yes. If you're the one looking at the lights when you hear three and the crowd erupts, it doesn't matter which side you're on. You did the job. Yes. And, yes. And so it's it's essential having people back because for the performers, as much as they can try to tell stories and put on a match, they don't get the payoff in the end. Right. That's the payoff. Right. And you also, you know, realize, too, that sometimes the power is literally put into the audience's hands. And you wonder if it's almost knowingly put into the audience's fans, like you th- uh, hands. Like you think about uh, AJ Styles and Chris Jericho. Both had very similar WWE debuts. And you wonder in the sense that like this unfamiliar music is playing and the name is on the screen first. And it's like, here's your make or break. Are they going to react to seeing the name? You know, Countdown to the Millennium was hyped up in August of 99. And Jericho flashes across the screen. And thank God for Jericho, people lose their mind because they could have just as easily been like, oh, oh, I thought it'd be somebody else. When Phenomenal flashed across the screen at the Royal Rumble that year. Thank God for AJ Styles that the crowd reacted the way that they did. And and you wonder in moments like that if WWE knowingly goes, let's see. You know, let's see. Night one, if you're this big of a star, if you're as big a star as you think that you are, this should not be a, this should not be an issue for you. And and it's funny, you know, you know, the AJ is one that I was really proven wrong on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I thought that based on the location of that Royal Rumble, you know, we got a biased we got a biased crowd, a crowd that was ultra familiar with AJ. And in reality, they were really just showing what the whole WWE universe felt, which is that everyone was excited uh, about AJ Styles. One that I think about, too, a lot. And, you know, this is another Hogan one. And it's not it's not this is, again, not just the crowd. But to me, when I think of the memory, the crowd is so important. Hogan Andre. But mm. when you think of the garbage raining down on Andre and Heenan. And yeah. and them trying to cover up and if you go back and watch it now not a full second passes without crumpled up paper a can a cup the garbage just rains down and that hatred that the crowd felt for andre is truly it's so impactful to that story yeah it's a huge piece of the whole thing how about this one that i think never gets brought up how about because people almost take it for granted now like he never left but he really did leave, and he really did seem like he wasn't coming back. But the night on Raw, when they just announced there's going to be the Humanitarian of the Year Award or whatever the award was, and Stephanie McMahon comes out to accept it, and everybody's watching going like, what the hell is this? And here comes the money plays for the first oh. time. I mean, the place came unglued. You could play that clip of Shane McMahon's first return just based on the you know the first the, the first lyrics of the theme song you could play that for anybody and it would translate to exactly what was going on and and again and and what is that moment without an audience there yes a reemergence of a character oh wow Shane is here i can't believe it it's the response that makes it that um yeah that one of, of comebacks over the last decade or two, that one is is high on my list. Um, you know, I, we, I, we were both there. Um, the Cena return at the Royal Rumble at the Garden. Uh. 
Everyone the, expected it was great. You know why? So you know why that's so great? Because that was when Cena was getting booed, right? And that was New York. So New Yorkers, they would boo John Cena. But it was so unexpected that if you listen to it, you can hear like when the buzzer goes off and his music comes out and he, you know, stands out there in in in, in the in the aisleway. Everybody cheers, and then there's like this like snap where everybody remembers they're supposed to be booing and they start booing him. But like, you always go back and you go, no, no, no. You can't hide how excited you were. I know yeah, you're right. supposed was, to boo out. him, but yeah, yeah. What about, and, and this is, I, I don't know if it'll make it to the episode, but in the Warrior doc, I talked about this. The crowd at SummerSlam when Warrior beat Honky Tonk Man for the IC title. Yes, yes. Because remember, that's an unnamed opponent. Yes, unnamed opponent. Honky had had the title for over a year, and those quick title changes didn't happen at and that but, era. But, but, but here's the thing. Warrior was so over at that point that the second his music hit, yes, entire crowd knows not only is he here, hand him the title. Yeah. He just won. Yeah. The, the music meant he won the title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, as soon as the music played, you were like, title or no title, He's here to run over the honky tonk man. If that's so, if he's there, that means we have a new champion. These moments are all just—they're uh, made so much better. And you know, I was uh, at WrestleMania this year, and I don't know how it translated on TV. It, there are not a lot of people there, yeah. And it was loud in the building. Um, really, during the Bad Bunny match, yeah. It it really felt like you. I mean, listen, did it feel the highest levels of a packed stadium? No. But during that match and during the big moments of the main event um, on night two, the triple threat, even just having the 25,000 that were there, oh, my God, what a, what a difference it makes. And I thought that WrestleMania was such a good little experiment for what we can expect with fans coming back because I felt like night one, the fans were specifically more cooperative than night two. Like night, you they gave them one night because you want to know like how long does the honeymoon period last? One day, one night. It's like we'll cheer all the good guys and boo all the bad guys on the first night, but you give us some nonsense on the second night, and we're gonna throw it out of the building. Right, right. Oh, it, that is it's so true. And also remember, night one was hard because the crowd was in such a frenzy. The rain was crazy. Night one, they started, and then after the big intro from Vince McMahon rain delay yeah <laughs> so now now everyone has to leave their seats again and then they had to start over again and so you're right yet they were in that much of a frenzy that it lasted a life but night two they're like all right this is our second night in a row give us something good give us something good and that's what and honestly that's what makes wrestling fans great because unlike you know uh other sports no one's there to root for one team right everyone's there for the overall show right Right, and it's, they will. It's, it's totally different. And like you know, I I feel like a a game, baseball, basketball, football, like a game would have to be really, really bad, for the whole crowd to just boo the game out of the building. Right. But wrestling fans will. I mean, wrestle. Uh, they'll go. WrestleMania has had main events where the fans have decided to boo the main event out of the building before a hold has been put on. Now and listen, there are people out there like my co-host SGG would probably say, well, that's why I don't love the fans. But to me, it's like, that's every blue moon. And you know what? Whether or not the fans are right 
for doing it. Yeah. You have to own the fact that the match that you decided to book did that. Yes. So that doesn't mean that the fans are necessarily right. But to some degree, if it's happening from 70,000 fans and they paid their money, they kind of are right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can hear Peter Rosenberg on the Cheap Heat podcast with the aforementioned stack guy, Greg, most of whose takes I agree with. But when he came out and said that he would like to save the Thunderdome forever, I want I wanted to I wanted to rethink every take that I had ever agreed with. Well, him that's on. why that's why I call him Stephen A. Stephen A. Greg, because <laughs> his takes sometimes are insane. By the way, Sam, on the way out. Yeah. One thing happened today that I had to share with you. Yes. I'll share with your audience. I want to know how you feel. OK. So apparently. On the I guess it's uh, Brian Alvarez's podcast. Uh huh. One of the F4W podcasts. Yeah. Someone sent me a link. They bashed me from the Sean doc because I said in the doc that at the moment at which the sharpshooter was applied to Brett, no one was thinking the match was going to end there. They're like, that was 12 minutes into the match. So. You thought the main event was going to end in 12 minutes with a sharpshooter on Bret Hart from Shawn Michaels? I, I trust me, I would you and you know I've I've disagreed with you plenty of times. I've called when you're wrong, I call you out. There's no way that that's a wrong take. Like of course, yeah, no nobody thought that way and it wasn't even it was it was it was a clear holdover. Like it was a transitional hold. It was Correct. not a match ending hole. The referee had been knocked out. It was not a, a, a well placed sharpshooter. Like it didn't look like a match no, he didn't ending. No, even have it all the way locked in. No, it that hard. No, and 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 the idea that the main event and Survivor Series between Brett and Sean at that point was to be twelve minutes sharpshooter out. Of no, listen, dude, crazy town, dude, crazy okay. town. I'm glad you have my back on this, Sam. Trust me, with you and me. There is a population that no matter what, the fact that we even pop up in these documentaries, and by the way, I call, it wasn't from that crew, I don't think, unless they also said it, but there were people on the internet after the Booker T doc that were like mad that I said uh, Hulk Hogan becoming Hollywood and joining the NWO was such a big deal because it was the first time that Hulk Hogan had turned heel because in the soundbite, I didn't reference his AWA run. His pre, no, no, I sw- okay. I'll show you the All tweets. Right. I will show you the tweets. They I were like, it. I watched the doc. What you said, there was nothing to even talk about. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like it was the most. Can you imagine having a? Con- it was for the A and E audience. Can you imagine having a conversation with somebody that doesn't watch wrestling? Going, you know, a lot of people think that that was the first time he turned heel, but before Rocky Three, when he was in the AWA, he was actually. <laughs> like, come on. Well, thank yeah, you, Sam. Appreciate Peter, you. You're always good. Thank you, Peter Rosenberg. Later, buddy. Later. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.